so we began we began last um, two weeks on apologetics okay we first started by laying a foundation for logical faith and we said faith in Christ is not mythical okay it is founded on reason it's founded on reason that we can you know present reasons why we believe and we ought to have such reasons because there will be days when, when, when you don't feel like it is working you know when it's like it makes sense okay you need those reasons to keep you going when it doesn't look like it makes sense okay we need those those reasons to keep going okay um we live in a world where people think being an artist is intellectual and it's because we have we have made them feel as though um, the Christian faith is just a might, it's just faith, you know, just faith for faith for faith's sake, okay? Um, but when we actually look at the facts and the evidence, it makes much more sense to believe in God and believe in Jesus Christ than to be an atheist, okay? And we should also, um, we showed proof that God exists. Yes, last week we talked about creation, okay? We said how the only, the only explanation that really works is that God made the heavens and the earth. Alright, and we showed from scripture. Alright, we showed it from scripture. And from not, not just scripture, we showed scripture, we showed science. Okay, we used science, we used every available data to show that um, there is sufficient proof that there is a God. Much more than anyone can say that there is no God. Okay, it makes much more intellectual sense to believe that there is a God than to say there is none. We use DNA, you know, how much, how much information is encoded in the DNA. You know, we use that to show. We really went through all that. Okay, so you should get um, the sermons of last of last two Wednesdays and last week to, to get you know um, a trade, a train of thought up till now. Is that good? So today we're going for us to talk about the Bible. Is the Bible true? Okay, why do we think, or how do we know the Bible is true? the accuracy and the authenticity of the Bible. Awesome. You know, um, the art cannot exult in what the mind rejects. I'll take it again. The art cannot exult in what the mind rejects. And this is why we need apologetics, okay? So that, so that our, our minds, you know, can have enough data to, to agree with our art on things of God. Okay, again, the art cannot exult in what the mind rejects. So we need to have sufficient data, you know, to know these things, why we believe them to be true, so that our, our art and mind can have reasonable alignment. Okay, so this series for us, eh, it's not for me to teach you everything there is to know about apologetics, okay? I can't do that, okay? But I can show you that there are answers, okay, and evidence, okay, to help you to start your journey of having all these answers, okay? So that even when you are your own and something arises, you know, number one, that there is always an answer for it, okay? And you also know where and how to go about 
your own research to provide answers okay so this is more of a guide than an exhaust than than than, than, than an exhaustive um um, proof and claim for all those apologetics, okay? So I encourage us to still on our own um, get some books um, join some podcasts, okay? That do Christian, Christian apologetics so you can have, you know, ready answers every time something comes up. But I can assure you of this, okay? We have much more intellectual intellectually backed up evidence for Things to believe in, such that if you do a little search, you find enough reason, okay, for our claims. No other faith or religion has anywhere near our level of evidence and credibility. So don't be afraid of of debates. Just just make sure that you, at least you have your phone and, and data with that data there, so you can always do a search online, right? Once you have that, you'll be fine. Nobody can bamboozle you. Nobody can shake you off. Okay? So know this. We have logical answers for these things. Okay? So, number one, talking about the Bible. How did the Bible come about? How was, was it canonized? I'm coming. So, the Bible has that nine books in the OT, the Old Testament, okay? And they form the Bible of Judaism. Right? While the Christian Bible includes those books and also... 27 books of the New Testament. This list of books in the Bible is known as the canon, right? The canon refers to the book that, that, that we regard as inspired by God and authoritative for faith and life. Awesome. Now, I must know this. No church created the canon, okay? No, no, no church made the canon. But over time, Church, church and council and councils began began to accept this list of books, okay, as you know, as as, as other other books elsewhere, as inspired by God, okay. Again, no single church or council created the canon, okay. It was just over time that they began to recognize this, this list of particular books as books that they all agreed to reasonably, you know, they agreed to as books that are inspired by. God. As we go on, I will explain those things, okay? Now, it was in the year 367 AD, okay, that I think the Council of Nicaea, okay, um, now, you know, just generally now, now you know, publicly or sort of um, made those books, you know, like like, like a public declaration of, of, of some sort, you know, of what they all had already, you know, agreed on as the books that should form the canon of the Bible. So, it did not, they, they didn't make the canon there. It was only just a, an affirmation of something the churches around the world already agreed to as the canon. Okay? So, this is important, okay? Now, there were other books, other books, other books about and claimed to be, to be inspired books. You know, we had the book of Thomas, the, you know, that's some other funny books up and down. People were claiming, you know, sort of funny books that people wrote, okay? Now, those books, you know, they were, they were not seen by the early church as authentic, as real, as truthful, so they were discarded, okay? As we go on tonight, I will show you the criteria that the early church used to validate the books that they, that they, 
that they believed, you know, were inspired by God for the New Testament. All right? Awesome. So, now, going forward. Now, the criteria for, the, for these books, okay? Number one, the book has to be written by, I'm giving six criteria, that, six or seven criteria that, that, that they used to just validate those books. Number one, written by a recognized prophet or apostle. Written by a recognized prophet or apostle. For example, the Corinthians, Corinthians, um, James, um, first Peter, second Peter, you know, John, 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 you know, Jude and Revelation, okay? Written by recognized prophet or apostle. Now, the book of Hebrews was one, is one that even till today, we're not so sure of who wrote it. Now, some say, some say Paul did, some say Apollos did, you know, some, I think some even say Mark, I'm not sure. No, but we are, we are not some, we are not exactly sure who wrote it, okay? So, but it passed the other criteria, and is why it was accepted as as a valid book for the canon of the Bible going forward, okay? Written by those closely associated or recognized with the apostle or prophets. Written by those associated associated with recognized prophet or apostle. Again. Written by those associated with recognized prophet or apostle. Now, for example, the book of Luke, the book of Acts, you know, the book of Mark. Okay. Now, those these three books, Luke wrote book of Luke and Acts. Okay. Luke it was, not, it was not an apostle, but Luke worked very closely with Paul. Luke worked very closely with Paul. Same also as Mark that worked very closely with Peter. Okay, in fact, it seems as though the book of Mark was um, was Peter's narrations, Peter's teachings about Christ that Mark documented. Awesome. So, criteria three, truthfulness and consistent with apostolic teaching. Truthfulness and, cons and consistent with apostolic teaching. Okay? So it had to be truthful. That that also be um, concerned with what, what was being taught. It had to agree with what Peter taught, what Paul taught. You know, it could, it could not just be one one that that was that that advanced with what was already been been taught in church. Okay, so they um, they found to be truthful and consistent with apostolic teaching. Are we following? Okay, number four. Confirmed by Christ. A prophet or an apostle. Now, for example, in Luke 24:44, in Luke 24:44, we see where Christ um, validated, validated the OT and said, you know, those, you know, that he taught them from the OT and showed them that, you know, the OT spoke about him. So, in doing so, he was validating the OT as books to be, you know, to, to, to be read as part of the Christian um, doctrinal documents. Is that clear? Now we also see 2 Peter, 2 Peter 3.16, 2 Peter 3.16, where Apostle Peter spoke about Paul's writings and called them scripture. So we see that. So confirmed by Christ, 
a prophet or apostle. That's to show us that even the letters of Paul and Peter, you know, were seen and rightly so as scripture. Am I communicating now? Are we following? Also, 2 Peter 3.16, where Paul talked about, where Peter talked about, about Paul's letters and called them scripture. Awesome. Number five, all of the books were produced in the first century of the happenings, okay? Possibly before AD 70. This is very important, okay? All of the books were written in the first century, possibly before AD 17. So the, these, these books that, 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 that were recognized for Bible were written in the days where there were eyewitnesses of the events that can say, okay, this did not happen. No, so, so, that, so that it's not just some spurious or, or legendary documents. You get, they were written in the days where the eyewitnesses were alive to validate or to discredit what was written. This is important. Take it again. All of the books were produced in the first century, possibly before AD 70. This, this is important, again, because the eyewitnesses we see available, we see alive, to discredit or, or, or um, accredit what was written as true. Okay? So imagine right now that um, a book comes out now, you know, that talks about that talks about something that happened in the 1900s, okay? It is easier to believe an earlier record because the people there were, they were eyewitnesses of it. So they can say that we saw this, we saw that, and it makes more sense than someone just comes to say, I saw, you know what, I did not see. You hear my point here? So it makes much more sense when, and it makes much more, uh, more evidential sense when the book is as closely written as, as possible to the things that happened. Clear enough. Okay. Then also, these books were widely used in the churches then and recognized. Is that good? Is that good? Okay. So, these books were not, were not just randomly chosen. Okay. There were criteria with which churches worldwide at that point um, agreed that those books were inspired and um, credible. They were real books of the apostles. Or those close to the apostles, okay, books that books that they're considered truthful and faithful. Okay? So someone can now ask, why why is there no 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 extra extra book between in the NT? It is because those books do not pass these criteria. So the churches then you know abandon them. Things like Book of Thomas and all those, all those other books, they contain some of them contain lies. Some of them, some of them, you know, they don't, they don't even recognize people that wrote them as part of the church, okay? So they have, to be, they have to be discarded in favor of books that were sure that they passed certain reasonable criteria. Is that good? Awesome. So someone asks, asks so, so, I have to say funny things like, eh, so, some books of the Bible, they were not, they were not put, put in the Bible, they were taken off and so and so, so and so, so. Now, these are the reasons why those books were chosen or not chosen, okay? So don't tell don't, anybody don't, don't, don't engage you in um, unreasonable discussion that, that don't edify. Show them the show them this, okay? Why and how these books of the Bible were chosen, okay? Very important. Alright, going further. Now we know that the Bible is not a single book. It's, it's more like a library of books, a collection of books, a collection of books, 
Okay? And you know the word, the word Bible comes from comes from the Greek word Biblia, which means the scrolls or the books. Again, the Bible is not just a single book, but rather a library, a collection of books. Okay? The word Bible comes from the Greek word Biblia, which means the scrolls or the books. Very important, okay? So it's not just a single book, okay? Neither is it the work of one author. This is so important, okay? The Bible had 40, the Bible has 40 or so different authors. We had shepherds, we had kings, farmers, priests, poets, scribes, fishermen, lawyers, okay? So it's it's an exhaustive book of different people, okay? That still spoke the same singular truth. So imagine 40 people agreeing on something. That's a lot, okay? And it all points to Christ accurately. Now, some other religious books, like for example, the Quran, yeah? Um, it's written by just one person, okay? Now, I would take the claim of 40 people to be of much more um, evidential weight than the claim of one person. This is important, okay? Okay, this is important, okay? 40 different authors. And um, the Bible is not a dictation. This is important. The Bible, Bible according to 2 Peter, 2 Peter, 20, 2 Peter 1 from verse 2021. 2 Peter 1 from verse 2021. And also 2 Timothy 3 from verse 16 17. 2 Timothy 3 16 17. It says, All scripture is God breathed. Look at that. All scripture is God breathed. Or all scripture is inspired by God. Look at that. So it is not a dictation, it is an inspiration. Meaning that you will likely see the the tonality, the education, the um, the poetic, poetic blend of the writers in their, you know, in, in what they wrote. For example, you will see Paul write um, as much more a teacher, you know, breaking down those concepts in very simple terms. You will see different from how Peter wrote. You will see Paul's, uh, Paul's in quotes, temperament in his writings. You see him sometimes very forceful in his, in, his, in, his, in his arguments, okay? So you can see, yes, inspiration to show accuracy, right? It's inspired, so it's accurate, right? But it's not a dictation. So you will see um, people's unique traits in the books they wrote in the Bible. So it is inspiration, not a dictation. That is important. Okay? Awesome. Now, let's talk about the historic accuracy of the Bible. Awesome. Now, people say things like, um, the Bible has been corrupted. You know, that's corrupted. One thing, one thing, one thing. You know, someone says something like, um, the original Bible was not, I was not Aramaic. Now converted to Greek. 
Now converted to German. Now converted to English. One thing, one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing. You know, and all that kind of funny stuff. Interesting. The Bible, you know, historically, and I'll show us that, is still the most, okay, um, I'm looking for English for it. How do I put this English to... Of all ancient books, it is still the most accurate book till date. That you can say, when you, when you investigate the Bible, you can see that when you see everything, it has not changed in meaning and concept from the originally written scrolls. I will show us why. Now, for example, the NT New Testament, okay, we still have about 24,000 copies of the scrolls. Look at that. 24,000 ancient copies of the scrolls. 24,000 different ones that they found at different times. Okay? And they all agree. This is so important too. 24,000 different scrolls of the Testament, okay? And they all agree. I will show us as we go on, okay? These scrolls that, that we have found now, okay, they are 40 to 300 years from the original. So this is how it works. So, for example, Paul writes a letter to the Ephesian church. They, they, they transcribe bits so they can share with other people. Right? So, when, when, when they transcribe, transcribe it and give to another church, the other church will also transcribe and give somebody else also. Now, saying that we have 24,000 copies of this, of these fragments. Okay? And even the, the oldest one that we have is within 40 to 300 years of the original document. Awesome. Now, when you send... When you share such documents, please follow me. When someone transcribes, it might make a grammatical error or miss a comma. This is one of things, okay? Now, we have in this prose, okay, um, 40, I'll, I'll, I'll confirm that again. We have 40 lines of textual corruption. Please do. Just 40 lines. And even at that, it is still 99.5% accurate. This is so important. And I'll, I'll show us as we go on. Okay? Now, compared to, compared to other, other ancient books, for example, we have several ancient books. We have the Iliad. We have the Sophocles. And we have Aristotle, ancient, ancient writings, ancient books. Now, the Iliad has only about 643, there about copies, you know, fragments available. Look at that. And even that one now, what we have from them is 500 years from original. See the difference? Okay? That one has 764 lines, lines of corruption. From the original document that they claim to have, okay, and 95% accurate. So, if we with, with, with other 
ancient books, the Bible still stands to date as the most accurate, the most um, um, authentic and um, accurate compared to the original script. I'll show that. So also, we have the Sophocles, the Aristotle. The Aristotle now, the Aristotle book, has just 49 copies of ancient, um, of the ancient fragments, 49 copies. And even that is 1,400 years old from the original events, from the originals. So you can see the difference. Okay, so even the, the entry we have is still the most um, accurate and evidentially um, reasonable book of any of the ancient books. Okay, now, for example, now those as I, I, I said when those when those when the books are transcribed, okay, people can make mistakes in the comma, in the spelling and whatnot, okay. But because we have so many of the origin of so many of the of the transcripts, we can put them together and do what we call textual criticism, right? And then begin to resolve those grammatical errors and stuff like that. They are even so they are so insignificant, okay, that of all the errors of all the textual and um, grammatical errors found, okay, only 1% of the errors will remain unresolved. The, the only 1%, and even those ones, they don't affect any of the Christian teaching, okay, or belief. Do you hear my point there? So, none of those small mistakes, small grammatical errors and so forth, affect any of the core Christian teaching or belief. Awesome. Are we following? Is it making sense? Is it making sense? Please, come on, give me, give me feedback. Are we following? Give me feedback. Are we following? Are you learning so far? Should I slow down? Give me feedback. Awesome. So, for example, primary sources on Alexander, Alos, not Alexander the Great. Okay? Alos. Now, the sources that we have now were written by a guy, a man named Arian. Another, another name named another man named Plutarch. Now they wrote their own records 400 years later. Look at that, though. See, the Bible was written by by people that, that were that, that were alive in those days. For example, Peter, Peter, John, um, Mark, Luke. Do you get my point? So they could they could they could give credible witness of the life and time and ministry of Jesus. But compared with, with Alexander, no primary sources are available, right? What we have is what was written by Arian and, and Plutarch 400 years later. And people still say that it is true, right? So how much more will they, will, can we say the Bible is true? Knowing that it was written by first generation of eyewitnesses eye that were alive, at those points, okay, is that we have First Corinthians 15, where Paul told them, you know, that about the gospel, Christ died, resurrected. It was seen by 500 people at one time. Okay, he showed himself to 500, 500 disciples in one place, and he told them that some of them that saw him are still alive. What is he saying? That you can go and ask people. If this is true or not, give my point here. So, so this is written at a point where 
the people that were alive then, you no, know, the, of alive at Christ's time, they were still alive when, when these books were written, so that they could verify or discredit what was written. This is so important, okay? So, the Bible shows, you know, it, the Bible stands as, you know, the best documented source for the life of Jesus than for any other figure in antiquity. Okay? The Bible showing the life and time of Jesus Christ is still the most credible documented source for the life of anybody, okay? Compared to any other figure of ancient, ancient times, okay? So, I will drop a link on the mixed LR message so, so, so you can check out more on a particular thread of thoughts. If you want to check out more about it, you can visit that link. You'll see a lot of stuff in just in that, that particular link. So going further also, the Bible includes 1,817 prophecies. Now, while there are some still yet to be fulfilled, because they're not fulfilled in the end times, okay? We have some that are fulfilled in precise detail. Some of them, even after centuries of their prediction. We have 191 predicted residue of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Okay? The predicted is his birth, his ministry, his death, resurrection, okay? You know, you know for example, that Isaiah, 700 years before Christ was born, said it will be born of a virgin. 700 years before. We see also Micah saying it will be born in Bethlehem. We see also Moses writing 1,500 years before about Christ that he will be born from the tribe of Judah. Are you seeing that? We see also Isaiah talking about his death, rejection, you know, and his death at the hands of Jewish leaders. For this quote, check out Isaiah 7.14, Christ born of a virgin. Check out Micah 5.2, Christ born in Bethlehem. Check out, um, check out Moses about Christ born in the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49 verse 10. Check out Isaiah about his death and rejection. Isaiah 53. Check out Psalm 22 about, about his crucifixion. Okay? It's piercing the hands and the feet. Okay? In fact, when Psalm 22 wrote about his crucifixion and his piercing, even then, Romans had not begun to, to do crucifixion. Look at that. So, even the prediction came way before Romans began to crucify people. This is important. Psalm 22. Okay? We have Zechariah 12.10 talking about his side being pierced. Okay? His side being pierced with a spear. We see Psalm 22.18 the casting of lots for his clothing. We see Zechariah 11.12-13 talking about Judas collecting um, 10 pieces of silver to betray him. We see in Micah 5 1 that it will be beaten as part on. Micah 5 1, we see in Psalm 22, verse 15, 15 and 16, that it will be given wine vinegar to drink. 
we see in Isaiah 3 verse 9 that he will bury the rich man's tomb. And we also see in Daniel 9, 24-26, okay, we see Daniel predicting the exact year of Christ's birth. Daniel predicted the exact year that Christ would be born. So, when you see all these things, it is just too accurate to be random. Okay? In fact, a particular mathematician named Professor Peter Stoner predicted the possibility of such prophecies, the probability of it happening to one man in a single lifetime. Okay? And he said the probability is one in one hundred quadrillion. Look at that. The probability of, 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 of those prophecies coming together, coming through in one man's life is one in one hundred quadrillion. Are you seeing that? Okay? But all these things happened in the life of Jesus. This is important. I will drop this quote also on the group on the telegram on the um, mixlr chat. Are we seeing it? Now, finally, the Bible and science. Now, while Bible doesn't claim to be a scientific book or scientific authority, okay, when you compare to most ancient books, it is still the most accurate, okay? You can even do, you can even do your research on this, okay? The Bible and science. Now, for example, even before men knew the earth was circular, when men thought the earth was flat, the Bible said in Isaiah 40:22 that he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and his people are like grasshoppers. Look at that. Proverbs 8:27. When it, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depths. Look at that. So even before people knew that the world was the earth was spherical. The Bible already called the earth spherical. Now, some claim that the Bible said the earth was flat when they talked about um, the four corners of the earth. Okay? Let me look, let me look for that verse again, please. Hold on. The four corners of the earth. Okay, awesome. Now, this part of the Bible, um, hold on. Now, when the Bible says four corners of the earth, we see that I think in Numbers 1538, in Ezekiel 7 2, yeah, Ezekiel 7 2, Ezekiel 7 2, talking about the four corners of the earth, people, people take that to mean that, that the Bible said the earth is flat, but that's not true. Now, the word for corners there in, in Hebrew is kanaf. 
It is also seen in, in Numbers 15.38. Numbers 15.38. In that, there is called borders. In Isaiah 11.12, it is called four corners. In Job, Job 37.3, it is called ends. And in Job 38.12, Job 38.13, it is called ends. It's, it's also the same word, you know, for in the Greek that is called gonia. Revelation 7.1. This is the idea, Okay. The word kanaf, it means ends. It means extreme. It means border. So, the four corners there is not saying the earth is flat, but to show north, south, east, and west. Okay, to show the extreme points of the earth, the borders, the extreme, extreme points. So, the Bible shows and talks about the earth being secular. This is important, okay? Are we learning? Now also, the Bible talks about how the earth is seated in the, in the cosmos. Now, in the earlier creative cultures, you know, they saw the earth, they saw the earth as flat, as something like something like, like a tabletop, okay, you know, and they are sort of funny, funny to talk about this. But the Bible already claimed from the beginning that it spreads out the northern skies over empty space. It suspends the earth over nothing. So, even first I started knowing this, I talked about the earth being suspended over nothing. How accurate, okay? No other ancient book mirrors it in such accuracy. So good. So also, now, you know, science has come to say that the world started, you know, at the Big Bang, right? That the world had the beginning. But guess what? The Bible already said that. Genesis, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning. So even the Bible already told us that the earth had a beginning. The earth was not eternal. The earth had a beginning. So, the Bible is not at odds with science. In fact, I saw a quote today that if you know small science, small science, you might say there is no God. But the more, the more and the more you know about science, the deeper you go, the more you find out more there truly must be a God. So, I've seen scientists that went as far as their doctors and all that that said, the more they got into science, the more they saw God. In fact, I, I know one on Twitter that became a believer, from, was once an atheist, that became a believer by saying science. I said, come on, there has to be a God. He saw God in science. Genesis 1.1 in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In fact, in those days, the ancient, most ancient Greek thinkers, they thought the earth and all that were eternal. While at that time, the Bible already said clearly, consistently, that everything at the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth in the beginning. In fact, even time, in the Bible, as a beginning, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6 to 7. 
We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not wisdom of this world, of the rest of this age that come to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. So long before science knew what it knows today, the Bible already told us that time, matter, the entire world had a beginning. So with all this, and even when you do further research, we find the Bible to be true, to be really, really inspired of God, to be accurate, authentic, and worthy to build your life on. So what we are reading is no ordinary book. It is not one man's fable or dictation, right? The Bible is the word of God and you can build your life on it. So I, once again, I, I urge us, don't be scared of what Messiah said. The facts back up our claims much more than any claim they make. Whatever they say, do your own research. For every bass that they have, we have much more superior books. So let nobody threaten you. The faith in Christ is intellectually reasonable. Okay? In fact, it makes more sense to believe in Christ. It makes much more intellectual sense to believe in Christ than to claim to be an atheist. And we clear. So also, we'll show next week also. Okay? We'll show Jesus as God, as the way, the truth, and the life. Not only with the Bible, but we'll show with logic. So thank you so much.